So, you know, 70% of young offenders come from lone parent families. The removal, this is another thing, the removal of fathers from families or what author Warren Farrell, Farrell calls dad deprivation has created a lost generation of angry, resentful young men vulnerable to destructive alpha male figures like local gang leaders or drug dealers. Dad-deprived boys are likely to have low self-esteem, fewer friends, and are likely to do worse in every single academic area. You know, families are important. Um, in terms of men, uh, I'm not going to let Ben answer this because you got it right yesterday. What is the biggest killer of men under the age of 50? Yep, suicide. The biggest killer of men under the age of 50 is suicide. Two-thirds of all murder victims are male. 40% uh, of domestic violent, violence victims are men. That surprised me, actually. It's quite a high statistic. Um, you know, all of that is there just to simply say that it's catastrophic for us that we have a breakdown in terms of family. They say the absence of fathers in a home means that that home has a four times greater risk of poverty. It has a two times greater risk of infant mortality. There is a greater likelihood that the children will go to prison or be involved in crime. This is the one that got me. Without a father in the home, there is a seven times greater chance of teenage pregnancy. More likely uh, drug or alcohol abuse, more chance of suffering from obesity, and the children are more likely to drop out of school. We need families. I know I'm focusing on men, and let me just say families are made up of men and women, and that is, you know, both are really important. But I want to talk for a moment for men because I think the lack of men in our society is absolutely catastrophic. Um, our world, this is what really gets me, our world is confused about gender. But let me tell you, God isn't. And as Christians, we should not be confused about gender. Our world is attempting to blur the lines about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, but the Bible is really clear what that means. And we need to champion that. We see that there is a clear distinction between the role of a man and a woman and a man cannot do what a woman can do, and a woman cannot do what a man can do. Let me say really clearly, we see that not just through Scripture, but in these statistics. If a woman could also be a father, we wouldn't have these statistics that show how detrimental it is not to have a father there. If a father could be a mother, we also wouldn't have statistics that go the other way. We need both. Many years I was talking to somebody who wanted to have a child by themselves and was looking at all kinds of IVF treatment and stuff, and they asked me about it and said, you are insane. I didn't get a good response. And I said, why am I insane? I said, you know what? 
It takes every bit of energy for Jocelyn and I to raise Zoe and James. I would dread to think what it would be like if I did it on my own. And it doesn't mean that I don't love my children. But let me tell you, raising kids is hard work. They never switch off. The reason we have bedtime is so that we get some time to sit down and have some relaxed time. It's a responsibility. Now, there are negative male role models. There are gang leaders, drug dealers, abusive fathers, and absent fathers, etc. But that is not the majority. Our society does not treat fathers well, especially when there is stuff like marriage breakup. Did you know that there is more legislation protecting animals than there is protecting fathers? You have more rights if you are a dog than you do if you are a father. Now, I want to focus this morning on what is a good male role model. And all of the characteristics that I'm going to mention, they all come out of the Bible. Why? Because my identity as a man is derived from God, who is my creator. One of the reasons I'm so glad that I believe in God is because it gives purpose and reason for why I am like I am. God created me and designed me to be a man with the characteristics I have. I didn't come out of some primordial soup over the years and get converted from one species to another so that now I'm progressing further that I can be a man and a woman or not or whatever. That is not how God created us to be. And when we blur those lines, we cause a whole load of pain. You know, I, I'm, I need to be really clear. I am so for helping people in whatever situation they go through, but I think we do ourselves a disservice when we normalize something that is not normal because it creates more pain down the road. And there is a challenge for us that when God created man and woman in Genesis 1, he created them male and female, and we need to celebrate that. And if you are a man that is God's intention for you, you need to celebrate it, and you need to walk in that, but you need to walk in it as God has called you to walk in this. So what does a man of God look like? Well, 1 Timothy 2.8 says this, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray. If you are the head in your house, if you have uh, connections with others, even if you don't, you should be a man of prayer. The first thing you need to do is be a man of prayer. I was reading through the Psalms the other day, and it said about David that David, he was a king, but he was a man of prayer. It calls him, says, David was a man of prayer. And I tell you why, because prayer is the most powerful thing you can do. You know, we prayed for Ralph a few weeks ago, and look what it did. Can you imagine if men everywhere are praying for their wives, for their families, for their workplace, for the nation, the power that that would release? And so to be a man of God, the first thing we need to be is praying men. And I want to challenge you this morning, if you are a man, how much time are you spending praying a day? The statistic in America, and this is a statistic for church leaders, is five minutes a day. 
And it makes me wonder, well, if church leaders in America are spending five minutes a day, what are the congregation doing? Now, I'm hoping they're doing more to shame these guys. The most powerful thing we have is prayer, and we need to be people of prayer. Now, that does not mean, I know there is a time when we, we go into a separate room where we're on our own with God and we speak with God, but you can also pray when you're commuting to work. You can pray while you're standing in a queue. You, there are so many things that you, where you can pray. We have so much time. If you use public transport, you have more than enough time. I know this. I take my daughter to the bus stop every day. And occasionally the bus comes on time. Maybe once in a year it comes on time. Occasionally it doesn't come at all and we're standing there for like 30, 40 minutes. Well, it's a good time to pray. So I want to say to you, if you are a man of God, the first characteristics that you will have is prayer. And there's two reasons for that. You can't be a man of God if you don't know God. Prayer is your lifeline to talk to God. When we talk to God, we are less likely to moan to our wives. You know, I, I find God is a great listener. That I can talk to God, I can sit down with God, and I can get all the stuff out, and I'm not burdening Jocelyn with all of those things. And God speaks to me and directs me, you know, the same with my children. I need God as my counsellor, I need him as my comforter, I need him as my mentor, I need him as my coach, I need him as my saviour. And my time daily with God allows me to work through those things. <coughs> there is a health thing involved in connecting with God. The second thing to be a man of God is to be godly. You know, godliness is about imitating God's behavior and God only does good things. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8 says this, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, rather train yourself to be godly. And then it gives the reason why. It says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So here's a challenge for all of you guys who go down the gym. You should be doing more time in terms of being godly than you should be going down to the gym. Because we need to train ourselves. And, and the challenge is this. Godliness is not a gift that is just poured out upon us. We need to train ourselves to be godly. I remember reading this, the, 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 watching this YouTube video of this guy. He said, you know what? He says, man, he says, you know, before I went down the gym, I was a mess. He says, but now, he says, I, I, I'm kind of all sorted. And he says, I love the machines. He says, I can get a coffee out and I get chocolate bar out of that machine and packet of crisps out of that. He wasn't doing the right thing. Have you ever gone down the gym and watched somebody doing it and you think, man, you're going to kill yourself doing that. That is not the right movement with that weight. You're going to break your arm, break your back, do your head in. We have to train ourselves to be godly. And one of the ways we do that is reading this. Yeah. The Bible has everything in it that you need for life and godliness. It will tell you how to behave. 
It will tell you how to act. We need to train ourselves to be godly. <coughs> 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 12. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, this is all to do with our character and values. Let me make a simple statement. If you do not train yourself to be godly and take a hold of godly values, the world will give you other values. You've got to, you've got to fight against that. Well, one of the biggest challenges I have is when I want to watch TV. Because it always feels like it's a compromise of my values. Let's watch this. Oh, but this has got this. Let's watch that's got that. In. Let's watch that's got that. In. And so in the end, you can't watch anything. But you've got to make a decision about the values that you're going to have because those values will impact you as you go on. And so if we're going to be a godly man, we need to practice godliness and pursue that. Third thing for a man of God is to be courageous. <coughs> 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and strong. Now, that applies to the Corinthian church, but in this context, the commentary says this, while courage can be exercised by all, it is identified here as a specifically male characteristic. We need to be courageous. Acts 4.13 And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If we are with Jesus day by day, then we will begin to act and take the courage that we need to. I mean, Peter and John in this context had a tough thing. They were told by the religious leaders in the community they were living in to shut up about Jesus. They said, if you guys carry on talking about Jesus, you're going to have to answer to us. And we are the power at be here. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that the council comes in here and says, hey guys, you no longer are allowed to talk about Jesus. It takes a courageous person to say, you can pass that law, but you need to judge whether I should obey God or whether I should obey you. We need to be courageous. As men of God, we need to be courageous in our families. There are times when we have to sit down and say to our kids, we are not doing that. Why can't we watch that? I'll tell you why you can't watch that. Because it's not good. There are games my children want to play that they are not going to be playing. When, when one of my children was in nursery in school, this is a good many years back, we got a letter from the school saying... If we find any more nursery children are playing Grand Theft Auto, we will contact social services. Now, those of you not au fait with games, Grand Theft Auto is a game about sex, about drug dealing, about violence. It is an 18 certificate game and nursery age children were being allowed to play it at home. We need to be courageous and say, I'm not doing that. 
there are things that I won't support because I don't think they're right. And it comes back to the values that we have as people of God. We need to be courageous and we need to stand up and be determined. To be a man of God, we need to be determined and decisive. Matthew eleven twelve, and from that time, John the Baptist began preaching until now, and the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and the violent people are attacking it. God's kingdom does not come through the easy pathway. Have you noticed that reading your Bible, praying, doing the right thing doesn't just happen, it takes some effort and work. And as the world goes darker, it takes more effort. I'm sometimes amazed that when I go on holiday and I have more time, I read my Bible less. Hold on, I've got more time, but I read my Bible Because you've got to be intentional. This whole thing about being determined and decisive, it's about being intentional in what we do as the people of God. Joss and I, we we constantly sit down looking at our, our, our calendar and schedule and saying, how do we help our children to read the Bible, to do soap studies, to engage and to pray? Because it's easy to let it slide and let the TV take over or gaming or whatever else. And then you get five years down the line and you see that your children have no Christian values. It takes a determined effort to do that. And if we are going to be men of God, we need to take a hold of that. We need to start that conversation. When are we going to pray? When are we going to read the Bible? You know, we'd migrated a bit from um, sitting down at the table to have dinner to, to having it in the front room. Sitting on the sofas is more comfortable. And we realized, actually, it's just no good. Come back to sitting at the table and afterwards just to having conversation and to praying. Say, so, okay, and we, we pray for one family each day. Who are we going to pray for today? Let the kids choose. You've got to be intentional about these things or it will not happen. A man of God is humble. 1 Peter 5, 5, in the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The opposite of humility is pride. And anything that has pride attached to it is the opposite of the value of humility and opposite of where God wants us to be. Humility is only possible when we see who we are in Christ. You know, one of the things I love about being pastor in the church is that actually it's got nothing to do with me. It's all to do with God. I have no special ability. I have no innate this. Everything I do, I know 100% comes through God who enables me to do it. The one thing I've had to learn over the years is just very simply to submit myself to God, to his anointing, what he wants, and to recognize it's nothing to do with me. A man of God taught me years ago and he said, Simon, all my successes belong to Jesus and all my failures belong to me. 
Because actually, it's the empowerment of God. Did you know that the Bible says that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength? What, does, what is he saying when he makes that comment? He says that you may not have the ability within yourself, but Christ can give you that ability and work through you and do it, and it has nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with Jesus. Everything to do with Jesus. But it needs a humility. You see, the world is full of, oh, look how good I am. You know, you, you, you look at the one that I always think of are sports personalities and singers. Yeah. Because they are celebrating that they are really good at something without recognizing that that ability has been given to them by God. People who are extremely wealthy forget that in the Old Testament, God says, I am the one who enables people to create wealth. And we stand there in this arrogance. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? The king who conquered everything and then he stood up and said, ha, look at all that I have done with my power. And God says, you done it with your power? Let's see. And a day later, he was driven out of his kingdom and he lived in the wild like a wild animal for seven years. Humility is about a God perspective. I've been reading a number of articles where people are arguing about worldviews. A worldview is a view that somebody has about the world and kind of says, this is how the world is. And people are arguing about their different worldviews. And I was sitting there reading through this and I think, well, what worldview do I have? And then I came to the conclusion, I don't. I have a God view. My view is simply this, that without God in the picture, your worldview is worthless because if it doesn't include the creator, it is based on the wrong premise entirely. We have a God view. We have a view that at the center of everything is God. We don't need to send somebody to Mars or somebody to Pluto to find out if there was life because we know who the author of life is. It is God. We know that he is a sustainer. We know that he is the one. And we walk in a humility knowing that he does these things. And you know what? It takes the pressure off. I don't have to perform. Why? Because I have nothing, no, no gift to perform with. I just have to trust God. And he says, if you open your mouth, then I will fill it and I will work through that. And I have faith that when I prepare and when I speak the message, that the Holy Spirit will do his work. And that faith comes the more and more you use it. But it comes from a position of humility where you say, it's got nothing to do with me. Now, I know we need to be willing vessels. You know, I don't want to diss the fact that we do need to be willing in the service of God, but I want us to recognize that what we do and the power we see and the fame we might get, it all belongs to God. It's God's glory. A godly man loves his wife. Colossians 3.19, husbands Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water with the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. 
In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves, uh, for he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church as members of his body. I've already said that it's a real tragedy and the breakup of family. We need to recognize that families are the backbone of society. You know, we, we will see if we continue, uh, I'm making a prophetic statement here, if we continue as a nation to go down this individualist idea that every individual can live the way that they want and do what they want, we will continue to destroy the family. And when we destroy the family, we destroy the community. And when we destroy the community, we destroy society. Even in secular organizations, they recognize when they study social um, uh, uh, social studies and social history, they will all say very simply that the smallest and most important, important unit in any community is the family. And if we allow that to be destroyed, we destroy our society. What does that mean? It means that as men, let me say something, it is absolutely crucial you learn how to love, to honor, and to respect your wife. I've been in cultures where it's patriarchal, the man makes all the decisions and stuff, etc. Uh, and I have to be honest, I don't agree with it. You might be a bit shocked. I quite enjoy talking with Joss, and she doesn't enjoy talking to me, but you know. <coughs> See, this is what I can't explain to you. It's, it's, it's a bit difficult. When you get married, you become one. Yeah. And when you become one, that's how you operate. And so I don't want to make decisions on my own because only half of it's there. I want to sit down with Joss and uh, uh, um, what are we doing here? How's this working? And yes, sometimes we'll argue about it. We'll thrash it out, etc. But we're doing that together. It's not about I have met and I felt the danger of being married but living like a single person. That is the most dangerous thing you can do, and that leads to a lot of breakup. Years ago, they did a book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. You remember that? Do you, do you remember the subtitle? I remember the subtitle because it really stood out to me. It said, so that you can get what you want out of your relationships. I mean, that defeats the whole object. It's not about what you get, it's about what you put in and there is a synergy in terms of marriage that produces family and the family creates far more than you could all do individually. Now before you think that I think everybody should be in a biological family unit, hear me really clearly, we are a family as a church. That includes single people, that includes those who are widowed, you know, includes everybody within. We are a family together and we function as a family. The challenge we have is that we need to do that better. It's really easy for those of us that uh, are married and have children, we don't realize that every day we are connected to other people and we have people that we talk to who talk to us and there are people who are single who don't have that at all. 
And we need some way to say, actually, we should be a family together. I've been toying with the idea. I, I toy with these things in my head. So I'm not saying we do this, but I'd love to do this. I would love every Sunday that we all stay together in church and eat together. I'd love it. I know some of you are thinking, oh, no. I'd love it. That we sit together as a family once a week. Kids can run around, do what they want. We can all sit down and everybody's together as a family and we eat together, we fellowship together, uh, together as a family. Yeah, that's me. You know, we need healthy marital relationships because when our relationship with our husband or wife is healthy, then our children have an environment where they can flourish. I've read you some statistics. There are, you can go online to all these organizations that have looked into all of this, and the simple truth is this, that when the marriage breaks up, the effect on the children is absolutely disastrous. It hits them for their entire life to see their mum and dad break up. You can't get over that. Jesus can heal that, but in terms of humanness, we can't get over that, and it causes so many other ills down the road. Fathers need to be good to their children. Ephesians 6 verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. That is a responsibility you're given as a father. If you're a father, you have a responsibility not to just ask your wife to do it, but to spend some time to train and instruct your children. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. What does it mean to be a good father? Well, number one, you need to spend time with them. And when you spend time with them, don't spend time with them with your head in a different space. I can say that because I've done that. We can spend time with our kids, but we'll be on this the entire time. That's not spending time with your kids. You need to be in the headspace. You need to be there. Yeah, you need to pay attention. You need to listen. I've learned something amazing uh, in having Zoe and James, that the act of listening is the most powerful thing that I can do. I know when I do it badly, and I know when I do it well, and I'm learning to try and do it better. Invest in your children. The last one is this. A man of God exercises proper sexual restraint. Now, I could go through a whole load of scriptures. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like other people do. Matthew 5, 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Our society has unrestrained sexuality and it's leading to a whole world of pain. The fact that people don't get married, the fact that people have more than one partner, um, all kinds of stuff to do with gender, uh, I'm simply saying to you that that is going to lead to more 
and more and more problems. Sex was designed by God for the procreation of children. Yes, it's pleasurable. It's meant to be. But it's not an end in itself. When you think about it, sex purely for pleasure leads to 200,000 abortions in England alone every year. Just think about that. 200,000 people who never come to existence because people only had uh, sex for pleasure. I'm going to say something really simply about what I believe the Bible teaches. Sex is part of marriage only, full stop. I know the world does not see that, but sex outside of marriage and promiscuity will continue to destroy society, and in God's sight, it is a sin. We tend not to say that now. We don't want to offend people. People like to go around and sleep around and whatever. In God's sight, it is a sin to have sex outside of marriage. And that's not because God is a killjoy, but he sees the effect that these things have outside of a marriage union. So we can be men of God. We can pray. We can pursue godliness. We can treat our wives with respect. We can uh, train our children. We can make sure that we are building in the values that God wants us to have. So I want to encourage you guys. You know, it's really important to be who we are as men of God. Not in a way that we lord it over people, but we bring the distinct gifting that God has given to us and it will do amazing things. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you that you created us to be male and female. And I want to thank you, Father, especially for men and for fathers this morning, that you've called us to a specific role. And Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that where we might struggle, that you would help us. I pray that we would be good fathers, that we would be good sons, that we would be good uh, brothers and sisters, that we would be good uncles and friends, that we would be good role models to other younger children who might not have that role model in their life. And so, Father, I pray a blessing this morning upon every man in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.